Masechet Tani Daf Hey, and uh, what a Daf it is! It's all Agada, and this is going to be a series of seven questions asked from Rav Nachman to the Rav Yitzchak. All very interesting uh, uh, Agadic, Rabbi Yitzchak. Sorry, all interesting Agadic questions, and they all jump off the for this Mishnah. So we begin with the Mishnah Ad Matay Shalin Et Hageshamim. Until when do we request rain? When's the ending point at, at which we stop saying Barechalenu? Um, Other nuscha, don't say Barechalenu at any time. But the point is that that paragraph has to include ten tal umatad libracha. That's the key words. Uh, whatever uh, the, the rest of it are, have different versions. Okay, so until when do we request? Rabbi Yehuda Omer Ad Sheavor HaPesach. We saw this Mishnah quoted yesterday. The Biuda says, until Pesach passes, which seems to mean until the end of Pesach, although we saw yesterday, it could mean until the Pesach offering is passed or the Shacharit of the first day is passed or something like that. The Biyuda says, until the very end of Nisan, uh, that rain is positive the, the, that whole time. Pasuk from Yoel, the full Pasuk says, Be rejoiced with Hashem, because he gave you more, more, or Yore means the early rain. He gave you the early rain as as in in kindness. This more listaka, the dead seasick makes a play on words in it. And because more not only means early rain, it also means a teacher. So they call the, their leader, the leader of the Dead Sea sect, um, the more Hatzedek, the teacher of righteousness. So it's a play on this, on this and other phrases that are similar to it. But here in the context, it means rain. And he brought down rain. More, the early rain. Mumalkosh is the late rain that usually comes late in the season. Barishon. And this translation from NJPS, it translates as, as he made the rain fall as formerly, Barishon, as it used to. But the Mishnah here, which quotes the, the, quotes the Pasuk, means it as Barishon in the first month, uh, that he brought down rain in the first month, which is Nisan. And if we take it that way, then this is a proof that rain is good in Nisan. And since so it doesn't say when in Nisan, we can assume the entire month, and therefore, to be made, it says we should continue praying for run, praying for rain the entire month of Nisan, and we'll see a story in the Talmud that would back this up. It's uh, somewhat rare to find the pasuk in the Mishnah, uh, and so to be made here, quoting a pasuk as a as a source is significant. Okay, and now we begin with story number one. There's going to be seven altogether. One, the first one is about miracle grow. Then about what, what do you eat when there's seven years of famine? Then the idea of two Jerusalems, one above in heaven and one below. Uh, four, double trouble, the double sin of idolatry. Uh, five is about Shemuel's early death that the Gemara says was at 52 years old. And six is a good lesson not to talk and chew at the same time because that could um, cause choking. And seven an unspeakable word, which we'll, we'll, we'll have to say it so you know what it is. Okay. The first rain, so the end of the Pasuk says, early rain and late rain. 
in during Nisan. Well, early rain, that can't be in Nisan. Early rain is supposed to be in Cheshvan. And then the late rain can be in later months. So what could this mean? We have a a, um, a, 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 a braita that it teaches that that the late rain is early. The early rain is in Mar Cheshvan, and it will be late rain in Nisan. So this, uh, the question was from Rav Nachman to Rabbi Yitzchak, and now he answers in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. They were both students of Rabbi Yochanan. He says, Rabbi Yitzchak was a student of Rabbi Yochanan. He says, Yoel, ben pituel, Yes, in fact, one time in the, in, the, in the times of Yoel, that's the Yoel the Navi from Tereh Asar, the, the early rain came in Nisan. It came very late, but that was the first rain of the season. Yoel has a famous scene. Uh, it's a short book, so it, it, the, most of it is taken up with uh, a, this locust attack that came and ate up all the grain as a, punish, as a punishment. And and besides the, the locusts and the worms and caterpillars that ate all the grain, also there was no rain even through the end of Adar. That's it, no rain in the whole rainy season. Um, and the first rain uh, fell on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So it seems to be too late to plant anything then. Nevertheless, the Navi, Yoel, said, go and, uh, uh, and sow uh, seeds now. And uh, don't worry, right? The first rain got the land ready. So when the Navi told them that, they said, this is not a good idea because we, we, have, we have barely anything left. All we have is maybe one kav, one measurement of wheat or two measurements of barley. If we use it and eat it, make bread out of it, then, may, well, that's our last food. So at least maybe we'll live. If we take this all and pour it into the ground as seed, and it's so late in the season that nothing's going to grow, then for sure we'll die. So are you sure? Are you sure about this, Navi? He says, yes, I'm sure. Right? He knows. He's a Navi. So he, they did. And they miraculously, first of all, found more seeds. Uh, they uh, went and looked in the holes and ant holes, and they found seeds that the, the, uh, the, uh, the bugs ha- were collecting uh, f- um, for, for, for the summer season. So they were able to have a little bit more uh, seed, and they could use it and plant it. So they went and they were they were planting on the second, third, and fourth. And then the second rain uh, uh, fell on the um, uh, on the fifth of the month of Nisan. And then just a few just a few days later, less than ten days later, it miraculously grew tall, and they were able to. Uh, cut that first barley and offer it on the 16th of Nisan, the second day of Pesach, as usual. Uh, grain that usually takes six months to grow, grew that year in just 11 days. And the Omer uh, on the second day of Pesach 
that usually it comes from grain that took six months to grow. It grew in 11 days. And regarding that generation, does it say in Tehillim, those who uh, sow in tears will reap in joy. They were sowing in tears because that was their, their very last grain. And if they didn't you know, get more food within a few days, they would all starve. And that's why they were extra joyful when they were able to reap after a few days. So this is an answer to the question of the original Pasuk here, which said that the first rain, the Moreh, fell in, in Rishon, in Nisan. How could it ever happen that the first grain, the first rain falls in Nisan? That year of that terrible blight is when it happened. And now that we quoted this Pasuk in Tehillim, we're gonna explain the rest. Um, that it continues to, to walk and cry. Um, uh, he, who, he who bears the measure of the seed. What does this mean? In the simple reading of the Pasuk, it's just parallelism. Uh, those who sow in uh, with tears, they're the ones who are walking with tears. Say it's the same, saying the same thing again. But the Midrash is saying it must be referred to something else. We already talked about the human farmers. So the rest of the must be talking about the animals. When the ox was plowing, it's, it's weeping because uh, the labor is so hard. But because of that miracle grow that year, by the time he went to the end and turned around and came back, to do the next farrow, uh, they're already started to, to um, some young shoots to grow, and the ox was able to eat from them and was therefore happy. Meaning on his way. So it's, it's picking up on the, the doubled uh, verbs, uh, the, the, referring to the back and forth. Uh, furrows that the ox makes. And what does the end of the Pasuk mean? That bear, bearing its sheaves. That, that not only was it miracle grow, it grew so fast, even the quality was better. And the, in, in, that, in those stalks, the, the, the stalk was just one, one zedet. The zedet is a measurement from the pinky to the thumb, like this, stretched out. So the stalk the empty stalk was only this much, while the ears with all the grain was two spans. Usually it's the opposite. Usually you have a, a long empty stalk and just the top of it has, has the grain. And so this was had more grain than empty stalk. And so that's uh, that was even more miraculous that that grew in a short time. And that is story number one. And now we get to story number two. I have more questions for you. This is a pasuk from Sefer Melachim. In the times of the king, Yehoram, uh, there was a, fa there was a uh, famine decreed for seven, day seven years. Uh, we have, like, reminds us of other seven years, uh, seven-year famines. And so in this, uh, we could ask the same question on all of them. And this, the question is, what did they eat for seven years? We know the answer in Yosef's case. Well, the first year they had 
some store some food stored up in their homes. In second year, they went and they were able to glean any leftovers and things that grew uh, out uh, that that grew on their own during the second year. During the third year, they ate all their kosher animals. And they ran out of that and they were going to starve. So they ate non-kosher animals. In the fifth year, they ate creepy crawlies. Uh, some of them are kosher, like um, like this grasshopper here is um, a kosher one, according to the Yemenite tradition. Um, but some of them are not kosher. But what could they do? They had to survive. And Nimsa... Uh, where are we? And in the sixth year, uh, they uh, tragically had to eat the, the flesh of their sons and daughters. Uh, this is fulfilling what we uh, read in Echa. In the seventh year, when it got the worst, they ate the flesh of their own arms. And the rabbis are picking up on Pesukim here. This one, a Pasuk in Yeshaya. Uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, just uh, showing very graphically how dire the the famine was. Okay, third story. The question is: Is a pasuk in Hosea that says? I'll read the whole pasuk so we understand the context. Hashem says, I will not be angry. I won't act on my anger anymore. I will no longer come back to destroy Ephraim. So here Hashem is presented as an angry punishing force and says, I will no longer do that. Because I am a God, I am God, I am not man, I am I am a holy being in your midst, and I will not come in uh, in in this in the city uh, or in a fury. So uh, so the the rabbis are picking up a con- on a contradiction. On the one hand, it says kadosh, I am holy within you, and then it says I will not come to the city. Well, which one is it? If Hashem is, is with us in holiness, then Hashem is with us. And then they say, no, I will not come there. Well, that means Hashem is not with us. So which one is it? Hashem there or Hashem not there? Okay, in the context, I think the point is that Hashem will not come in anger anymore. Um, Hashem will be with us instead in holiness and not anger. Uh, so the end of the Pasuk is just repeating what it says in the beginning of the Pasuk. Okay, but if we just focus on the end, it looks like a contradiction. So which one is it? Amar lehachi, amar Yochanan. The Bishak once again says in the name of his teacher, Rabbi Yochanan, Amar Kadosh Baruch Hu, Lo Avo Birushalayim Shemala, Al Shabodush Lidushalayim Shemata. Beautiful lesson. Hashem says, I will not go rest in my heavenly abode, the heavenly city of Jerusalem, until I come and dwell in the earthly Jerusalem. In other words, when we are in exile, Hashem is also in exile. Imo Anochi Betzara. Uh, when we are suffering, Hashem is also suffering. And therefore, Hashem will not be able to rest until we are able to come back to Yerushalayim and we are able to rebuild Jerusalem and have the, uh, a, a better mikdash, a home for Hashem to dwell in. And then when he knows we are safe and he dwells amongst us, 
in Yerushalayim, then he can rest as well in the parallel uh, uh, heavenly Jerusalem. Okay, so beautiful lessons. Not like Hashem has abandoned his people uh, during the exile and said, forget about you, I'm going, uh, I'm going to Florida. No, Hashem is going to care for us and not rest until we rest. Okay, so now that, that was his answer. We just elaborate a little. Mika Yerushalayim Lemala. Is there, in fact, another Jerusalem somewhere up in heaven? Um, uh, we, we can't see it in a telescope. So it means a, a spiritual idea of Jerusalem. In Tichtiv Yerushalayim Abenu Ya'ir Shechu Bera La Yachtav. Yes, Mizmor says Jerusalem built up a city unified together. What do you mean unified together? It means that there's two parts of it. We want to say it's unified unless there are two parts. And so, um, this is the original meaning of, uh, of uh, unified Jerusalem, that is the heavenly and earthly one that are bound together with each other, and the fate of each is, depends on the other. All right, so that's the two Jerusalems, and now we're going to talk about the sin of idolatry. Curious calls it a binachman. Usually it's, it's a mistake. It should be Rav Nachman. Okay, my dichtiv. Yirmiyah says that with one, they act like animals, Yib'aru. Yib'aru uh, could also mean to burn. Uh, so this translation says they are like uh, brutish, like animals, and foolish. Musa, um, uh, teachings of vanity, is they grab onto like a branch. All right, what does this mean? So the one thing that burns is the is is the the one sin because of which the reshaim are burnt in Gehinam. What is that one sin? That's the worst thing. And how do we know? How do we prove that? Well, when you talk about uh, 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 teachings of vanity, this word havalim comes up again uh, later in that same chapter in Yeremiah, and there it says vanity, works of delusion. Uh, so this is idols that they create that they think are something important, even though they are nonsense. So that's what it's referring to. Okay. Uh, so further on the on the it's another question, but it's on the same theme of idolatry. What else does it say in, in Yirmiyah that they did B'nai Israel did two sins against me? Two? What do you mean? There's a, there's a lot. Go and count them, and you can find um, uh, many more. In the book of Yechezkel, it talks about uh, 24 of them. Some manuscripts here have 22. Okay, um, different commentaries on why this, why this number, numbers, numbers of the letters of the alphabet, numbers of books of the Tanakh. Um, okay, point is that it's more than two. Why would it say there's only two? Uh, and the answer is, no, we're talking about the same one, but this, this one has two aspects to it. It's a double sin. This doesn't mean that they only sinned in two things. Uh, among all the sins that they did, the number one really bad one, which is idolatry, has two aspects. What are the two aspects? Uh, again, my people have committed two evils. They forgot about me and Hashem, who is the fountain of living water, 
and instead they went, went and found broken cisterns. Um, a, a spring of living water always has good fresh water and a broken cistern is one that has cracks in it and all the water goes down, uh, uh, empties out and it's any, anything that's there is stale and rotten. And so that's the double sin. Number one, you leave the good. And number two, you go and follow the bad. Um, go to the islands of the Kitim and see, and go to Kedar and look at them and see what do they do. Uh, again, he's saying, Benesa, I want you to compare yourselves to these far off nations. You are worse than these, these, these foreign nations because they at least are loyal. They worship idolatry. That's nonsense. But at least they're loyal to it, um, even though they're even though they're false gods. And you, you worship the true God, and yet you're disloyal to uh, to your true God. So this really makes no sense. Um, okay. And what Tana? Uh, this it says Kutiim. Kutiim is a reference to Samaritans, um, but this doesn't make sense because the pasuk we just quoted is Kitiim, and in fact, most of the manuscripts here doesn't have, manuscripts here do not have a vav. So we're talking about Kitiim. Um, Kitiim are people from the uh, islands in the Mediterranean. Uh, the, in the Dead Sea sect, Kitiim is always seen as a code word, a reference to the Romans. Um, but uh, okay, whoever it is, some far off people, they worship fire. The Kedariim and these other, uh, uh, this other ethnicity, uh, they worship of Dim Lamaim, they worship water. And so look at their nonsense, even though they believe in uh, things that are mutually contradictory, because we know that water puts out fire. So how, why, would you wash, why would you bother worshiping fire when fire isn't even so powerful? Because it can be put out by water. And yet, at least they're loyal to whatever they do. And uh, my people, they are disloyal uh, to it. You know, this is like... Um, Sometimes uh, in college, some kids drop my class. It's okay, you could drop my class, but then at least take another class that's uh, also good. You're gonna drop my class for some bad teacher. Okay, I'm just kidding here. Um, okay, so all that is the, the, the double sin of idolatry. And now we get to the next item, which is the age at which Shemuel died. Um, the Pasuk says, when Shemuel became old. Wait a second, how old was he? Uh, we learned from a tradition that he was 52 years old. The Pesukim actually never say how old he was, but the rabbis say that he was, uh, he was uh, nursed uh, at home, and then his, his mother weaned him and then donated him, so that's probably like two years old. And then uh, they're assuming that he served for 50 years because Levi'im served till they're 50. Um, okay, it doesn't say anywhere this, probably in Peshati, did in fact grow old. Um, but we have a tradition that someone said, if someone dies at the age of 52, that's the age of Shemuel, uh, who came from Ramah. Uh, so it's, uh, uh, well, it's a young age, but that's, that's Shemuel. So the, that's a contradiction. Well, how could you say he got old if 52 is not very old, even in those days? So the answer is, even though he was relatively young at 52, Hashem made him look old 
in a, a quickly. And we, can, we have to understand this. We have to understand the following story. Um, as soon as Hashem told Shaul, go kill Amalek, and then he left the king alive, then Hashem says, I, I regret that I made Shaul king. Now remember, it's Shemuel that was the messenger. Hashem told Shemuel, go and coronate uh, King Shaul. And then Hashem, soon, so, soon after, um, Hashem says, no, I'm not going to make him. He's, he's not. He's out. So Shemuel was sad that Shaul was now being kicked out of being king. And so he prays and says, Hashem, you compared me to Moshe and Aharon. Pasuk in Tilim that says, Moshe Ushmuel They're parallel. And Moshe and Aharon were among the Kohanim. And Shemuel was also one who called in God's name. So what's the point of the comparison? Just like Moshe and Aharon had proper successors. And so they, they, when they died, they knew that their work was being carried on by those who they appointed, uh, whether it be Yehoshua or Aharon's surviving sons. And so, right, they, their, their work uh, was successful and they saw their work being successful at the end of their lives. However, me, my work, Shemuel says, my work was coronating Shaul. And now if, um, if I'm going to die, uh, if, if Shaul is going to die first, and I'm going to see Shaul be, be kicked out and die, then I'll be sad. I don't want to see the work that I've uh, accomplished uh, be destroyed while I am alive. So basically, Shaul, Shaul, Shemuel is almost asking to die early. Uh, let's see. So Hashem wants to uh, um, ex accepts this request and wants to um, do something about it. But how's he going to do it? Lemut Shaul. Should um, Shaul die now? Shemuel said, no, he can't because he wants, he doesn't want to see Shaul die. He doesn't want to be alive when Shaul dies. So now I can't, I can't kill him, even though that might have been his time. Uh, so if I, if I allow, cause Shemuel to die young, then, and then, and then Shaul will die after, people will say negative things about Shemuel. Oh, look, he died young. What did he do wrong? Maybe he stole. Maybe he was corrupt. And we don't want that. Uh, as it is, they said negative things about him, and he didn't do anything. If neither of them die, and I'll just extend their lives, I'll extend Shaul's life further. Well, I can't do that either. Uh, time, the time came for David to be the king, and this is uh, set in a schedule. And no, no, uh, no dynasty, no kingdom can uh, overlap with another, not even the hair's breadth. You can't push it off, not even a minute, certainly not many years. So what am I going to do? Okay, so he picks the middle option that Shemuel will have to die earlier. And they'll have to find a way to protect his honor. So Hashem says, I'll make him look old. And now even though he's 52, everybody will look at him and say, oh, well, he looks, how old is he? He looks like he's, uh, he's 100 and something. And so then it will, uh, they'll understand that, oh, he died of old age. And they won't, won't say things that are negative about him. And we derive this from Pasuk that says Shaul was sitting in Giv'ah under the tree in Ramah. 
Now, Shaul, is this, his place is Giva, but Rama, that's, that's, uh, that's Shemuel's place, Shemuel Hadamati. So these are two different places. Why is Shaul sitting in Giva and he's under the tree in Rama? What does that mean? And I explain that who caused Shaul to be sitting in Giv'ah, be, uh, that he could be king for two and a half years, that's how long he was king. It's the prayer of Shemuel who comes from Ramah. Shemuel is the one uh, who made him king and allowed him to, to, to sit, to, to be there. Um, okay, and so that's the, that's the story, and that's why, the, that's why it says Shemuel was old, even though in the Midrashic calculation, he died when he was 52. Last question, can you do that? Can you uh, uh, cause one person's life to be set aside, that he should die uh, before, before someone else, you know, just because... Uh, that the, the time has arrived, David's time has arrived, so now Shemuel has to be set aside. In yes, this happens. Says, I've hewn my prophets, I've slain them by the, by the word of my mouth. So it talks about slaying Nevi'im. So by the word of his mouth, why, why would God cause a Navi to die? Says, yes, sometimes there is a reason for it. Um, this is, uh, could be a good source that you could bring into med- medical ethics questions if uh, uh, people um, uh, towards the end of life do not want to uh, you know, like a DNR or something like that, um, because of suffering that they will, they are experiencing. Obviously, euthanasia is not allowed in any case, but in those cases where um, non-intervention would would be halakhically permitted, is it is it possible? Can you stop a woodpecker from uh, from pecking if it's keeping someone alive, or can you pray for? Can you stop praying for someone to get better? So there's a lot of halakhic sources. Um, I don't know if this one is usually quoted, so that, but this would be a good source of Shemuel uh, praying to die early so that he doesn't have to see negative things coming. All right, and now we get to uh, the next one, uh, don't talk and chew, okay? This is one of my favorite stories in the Talmud, Rav Nachman v'Rabi Yitzchak. They were eating together. Nachman says, please say Advar Torah. We see that he, Rav Nachman really enjoyed Rabbi Yitzchak's Torah. The, a lot of the questions before are like, what does this pasuk mean? It's not, you know, it's just an open-ended question. So now, okay, we're eating together. Rabbi Yitzchak, mechavod, say Advar Torah. So Rabbi Yitzchak says, again, the name of Rabbi Yochanan, one should not speak during a meal because the esophagus might take, might precede the trachea and then the food will go down the windpipe if you're talking while, while, while you are eating. So therefore, one should not talk. Point is, I can't say it about Torah now. Okay, this is ironic because this itself is a Dvar Torah. So the Dvar Torah is, I'm not allowed to say a Dvar Torah. So that's, um, that's really funny. Um, okay, if you want to know more about the biology, you can look at the uh, pictures here of uh, how the, um, how the, 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 the uh, palate um, uh, closes the, uh, the windpipe while, while, while swallowing. Okay. And uh, after they finished eating, 
Then he said, Okay, now I'm ready to give you the real Tavar Torah. I mean, even though he actually did technically give him a Tavar Torah before. Um, and here it is, Yaakov Abinu Lomet. Yaakov never died. That's it. That was his Tavar Torah. Yaakov never died. So Rav Nachman appropriately says, is surprised. Go look at the Pesukim. It says that when, uh, when he died, they, they, they eulogized him. They embalmed him. They mummified. He died. Remember, he died in Egypt and they mummified him. Well, what, what do you, that was just a joke. They just wrapped him in toilet paper um, and they went and they carried him right to Israel and they buried him. Oh, that whole section of the end of Bereshit, you know, what, what do you do with that? What are you talking about? And Rabbi's answer is, I'm making a derasha. Don't take what I said so literally. This is actually a very important source that one should not take every midrash literally. Um, he's just explaining a pasuk. The pasuk says, um, to Hashem says, uh, uh, pasuk in Yemea says, don't worry, my, uh, my servant Yaakov, and don't be fearful, Israel, because I am going to save you from afar and your descendants from the land of their captivity. In other words, there is a parallelism between uh, Yaakov's life. Yaakov runs away and goes north and stays there for a while and works hard and all that. And eventually he comes back to the land of Israel. So too, um, that's a foreshadowing, Maaseh Avot, Siman Lebanim, for Bnei Israel, who eventually will also go into exile, some to Syria and Bavel, and then come back. And the point is, as long as his descendants are alive, so too Yaakov himself is alive. That's the point of Yirmiyah's poetry here. When he's saying, don't worry, Yaakov, Yirmiyah lives way after. Yirmiyah's not speaking to Yaakov, but rather using Yaakov as, uh, as a symbol, as a name for all of his descendants. And Yaakov, you are alive by saying, uh, Bnei Israel is alive and well when we have, when we see redemption and success, then that is you saying, in effect, that ya- Yaakov is still alive. Yaakov never died because his legacy lives on forever, right? When someone dies, we say, we we'll hope their legacy will live on forever. They live in through their legacy. That's what I mean. So yes, Yaakov Avinu never died. Not literally. Of course, they, they mummified him and buried him, um, but rather his descendants. Okay, a beautiful source. There's something else that's deeper here that a lot of people miss, which is that if you look at the way it says each of the Avot died, for the other, for Abraham Yitzhak, it says the word Bayamot, um, they died and they were gathered, gathered unto their forefathers. However, by Yaakov, it doesn't say the, the word Bayamot. Um, it says other phrases um, that he was, he was gathered unto the forefathers, but never says the word died. So it, it did, of course, die. Um, but the, this Midrash is based on a very careful reading of a comparison of the phrasing of each of their, of their deaths. And yeah, for Yaakov, does not say this. So literally, Yaakov Avinu lo met, the Pasuk never says the word met regarding Yaakov. Okay, you can go uh, for homework and, uh, and check, uh, and check that if that's in fact true. And uh, finally, Amar Yitzchak, kol haomer rachav rachav, Anyone who says she was so uh, seductive, 
anyone who says her, even says her name, even thinks about her, will immediately see experience uh, an emission. Nachman says, I said it. Look, I just said I could say the word. I could say her name all day long. It's nothing to me. I uh, I'm above that. Yeah, but you don't know her. You never met her. That's why the name doesn't mean anything to you. When I said, when it be a slack, when I said my statement, I mean those who know her. Know her uh, could either be, you know, like uh, uh, have seen her, maybe know in the biblical sense, those who, ha- who, are, who are recognize her. Um, that, when they say the name of Rahab, then they will have that problem, but you don't know where at all, so it's meaningless to you. Okay, there is a connection here of things that you can't say, just like you can't speak during a meal. Um, all right, so that's the end of the questions, and now we end with a blessing. One time, after they spoke for a while, they were saying goodbye. And Nachman says to this, to, to the, the Yitzchak, um, please give me a blessing. So his, the answer is, how can I give you a blessing? Um, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a parable. Someone who's walking in the desert and he was uh, hungry and tired and thirsty. And he found a tree that fulfilled all of his needs. Uh, the fruits were sweet and he ate them and the shade was pleasant. He cooled off and there was a stream under it and he was able to drink. And so now he's sitting and enjoying. And so in other words, the tree uh, fulfills everything. And then when he's leaving the tree, he says, oh tree, oh tree, how can I bless you? You have already, you already have everything. If I should say your fruits are sweet, they are already sweet. That your shade is nice, your shade is already nice. If I bless you that there should be a water stream flowing beneath you, you already have that. The only thing I can bless you is to say that all future trees that grow from your seeds should be just as good as you. That's, I can't bless you with anything, only your future. And so you, so to you, Rav Nachman, you asked me for a blessing. What can I bless you with? Torah, you already have Torah. With, with riches, you already have riches. If with children, you already have that. The only thing I can bless you with is that your children and your descendants after you should be as great as you. And that is like the tree. It also connects to the previous story regarding Yaakov Abinu. Yaakov Abinu never died because there is success among his descendants. And so therefore, just as he is always alive and successful, that is the most wonderful blessing one can give to someone else that their descendants should also be as successful uh, as they are. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.